You know, it's a great honour and a privilege to preach, but it's also really awesome. And uh, I think it was a psalmist said, you know, I tremble at your word. And uh, I'm going to tell you about God this morning, and that's a huge responsibility, a huge responsibility. I hope it's not just my opinion, and as is my want, there'll be lots of scriptures again this morning, because I want God to speak to you, not me, I'm only a vehicle. uh, So let's pray. Father, you know my heart, I don't want to ever misrepresent you. Lord, I don't want to lead people astray, Lord, but I want to lead them to you, and I want to lead them to faith. So please help us this morning, Lord, help me. Help the people, Lord, that we find faith rising in our hearts as we consider your word this morning. We ask you, Holy Spirit, the one that we're considering this morning, come and move among us, touch our hearts, open our eyes, warm our spirits and and our hearts. Lord, please, we say, come among us and glorify Jesus, please, in his name. Amen. Well, today we conclude our short series on the Holy Spirit, just four sessions, this is the fourth week and four weeks ago uh, I began the series uh, by asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, And we very briefly dipped into the Old Testament and we found that uh, the revelation of the Holy Spirit begins at the very second verse in the Bible. Uh, uh, He was there at creation. We also see throughout the Old Testament that uh, he came upon particular people at particular times uh, for a particular purpose. Just isolated people who were said to be filled with the Spirit for all sorts of different tasks. But we also saw that the prophets look forward to a time uh, when there would be a new agreement between God's people and him, a new covenant, a new way of relating to God. And what would accompany that that would be a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And rather than the Holy Spirit just coming to this one and that one, the promise was that all God's people would receive the Holy Spirit. And it would be irrespective of age, uh, of activity in life, station in life, and sex. Uh, And so that was the amazing promise. But it had to wait, as we saw, to the coming of the Messiah, uh, Jesus himself, who would bring in a new age of the Spirit. And he himself would be the giver. He would be the one that poured out the Spirit on people. He would be the dispenser Uh, of the people and uh, John the Baptist uh, as he was expecting Jesus to come to him he said I baptise you with water but there's one coming after me who is greater than I am uh, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with power now the word baptise we've stolen from the Greek Right? It's, it's, not a, it's not an English word, but it means, it comes from the word, Greek word baptizo, which means to drench, uh, to plunge, uh, to immerse, 
to overwhelm. It's a big word, is the word baptise. And that's why we baptise people by total immersion. That's why we plunge them into the water. So we have to say that there's a promise of the Spirit in that kind of measure from from Jesus. Um, But the fulfilment of that had to wait until Jesus had done his work of laying down his his life for us, giving his life on the cross for our sins, then buried and raised to life and then ascended to the Father. And it was from there that Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit, just as he promised his disciples, from a place of power and authority, and he's still doing it. Jesus is still pouring out his Spirit. He's still in that place of power and authority. Jesus' disciples, having been told by him to wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit, received this outpouring, this baptism, on what we call the day of Pentecost, the Jewish feast. And we know they spilled out onto the street, having been filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues. People thought they were drunk. But Peter gets up and powerfully preaches Jesus to them. And we concluded that morning by Peter's assurance that all those who repented and believed in Jesus and were baptised would receive the same Holy Spirit. Nothing different, just the same Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just for that generation. It wasn't just for those people who happened to be privileged and be in Jerusalem at that time. Because he said to them, this promise um, is for you and it's for your children and it's for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. To me, that's for every Christian. God calls us to come to Christ and, and that we are the ones who may receive uh, the Holy Spirit. So that was our first week, a kind of introduction And I said, I'm trying to make you thirsty. I want you to want more of this Holy Spirit. Then the next week, um, David explained how the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer brings fruit, fruit that grows. And it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this fruit grows as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our character. They are all character traits. It's all about character. And David emphasised the fact that fruit has to grow whilst we receive gifts. God gives gifts and we receive those, but fruit has to go, grow. And it's the ongoing transformation of our lives as we allow the Holy Spirit to interact with the everyday nitty-gritty of life. And he made the point that often we grow best in hard times when we have to rely on God and we find God transforms our character. Then last week, Steve looked at some of the gifts of the Spirit, uh, uh, emphasising that the Scripture gives us every reason to believe that those gifts have not been withdrawn, that it is for the church age and we haven't come to the end of the church age yet, not till Jesus comes again. And these are gifts that are permanent to the church, the body of Christ, available to make us a multi-gifted people to serve one another in love. Well, today I want to look at what is meant by the term the baptism with or in the Spirit. We use those terms a bit interchangeably. Sometimes referred to as the fullness of the Spirit 
or being filled with the Spirit. And whether this necessarily happens at conversion. We're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to us, is that what is meant by the baptism in the Spirit? I want to ask that question. But let me say straight away that God's revelation of himself, which we find in the Scriptures, rarely comes in neat packages. I wish it did, but it doesn't. And especially, none of us can say that we have a complete understanding of how the Holy Spirit interacts with the believer, uh, the believers in Jesus. Um, Jesus himself likened the Spirit to the wind, didn't he? The, spin, the wind blows where it wills. Um, you, know, it, you can't see where it's come from, you don't know where it's going. And he said it's like that with the Holy Spirit. You, you, can't, you can't grasp the Holy Spirit in that way. We can't put the Holy Spirit in a bottle like a genie and say, gotcha. All right? We can't do that, can we? Um, and consequently, there will be different interpretations of some aspects of the Holy Spirit's work. Um, I don't want to go into great lengths about these, but just to mention the fact that the first would be that the baptism in the Spirit refers to our initiation into Christ and it happens at conversion. That's it. That's when it happens. And there will be many Christians who would take that position. Then the other one is that there is an, an experience of the Holy Spirit other than at conversion, resulting in greater power and assurance, sometimes accompanied by speaking in tongues or other manifestations. Now, there are those, and perhaps many who take that, this latter view would say, this may occur at conversion. It may occur at conversion or very soon afterwards. But more often, it seems to be something that, that Christians wait for or, or seek God for, and it happens afterwards. But whatever we do, we must allow the scriptures to be the basis of our belief. There are many opinions, some streams uh, of Christianity, uh, would firmly take one position or another. But in our hearts, we've got to be satisfied. This is what the Bible says, not what my tradition says. And we mustn't let fear or, or prejudice or tradition um, cause us to take a particular view. It's hard because, as I've said, we can't, we, we can't put the Holy Spirit in a bottle uh, and uh, there will be people who have different views. But as Christians, maybe a practical question is, especially as we read through the Acts of the Apostles. My, my habit is to start at the beginning of the Bible and work all the way through week after week after week and then when I get to the end, start again. I'm always slightly excited when I get to the Acts of the Apostles. I get to that because it's so full of action. It's so full of action and so full of the Holy Spirit. So, um, yeah, have we got it all? That's the question. When we look at that, have we got it all? Or is there more? Now, in seeking to answer that question, I first, first want to put a stake in the ground. All right? That is something that I believe is immovable. And um, that is, and we'll have our first slide, and you'll see there'll be quite a lot of scriptures coming up this morning because I want, I want you to be convinced from scripture this morning. What I want to affirm is that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Whatever their experience of the Holy Spirit may be after that, right, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Here's a quote from Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. 
You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Maybe there's a question there, but then he goes on. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That's a a back way of saying the same thing, that every Christian has the Spirit. If we know we belong to Christ, then we have the Spirit. Uh, Those two are are interchangeable. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit. And we can trace the activity of the Holy Spirit before we were converted. So let's, let's look at that. Before conversion, it was the Holy Spirit, I believe, who made us aware of sin and the conviction that we needed to do something about it and that Jesus was the answer to our problem. And uh, Jesus says to his disciples in John 16, Unless I go away, the Counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world when he comes to you. Now, I don't know how it was that you heard the good news, the gospel. Maybe you were reading the scriptures. Maybe someone shared the gospel with you. But that was a work of the Holy Spirit in them, bringing revelation to you and and enabling God to open up your heart, open up your mind, take the veil from your eyes to begin to see uh, the wonder of this gospel. So it's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction before conversion. Then at conversion, when we repent and believe that Jesus died for us, we know that the Holy Spirit makes us new people. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. God opens our spiritual eyes. We become alive spiritually. Jesus said this to a Jewish leader who came to him by night with some questions, a man called Nicodemus. John 3, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Entering the kingdom of God is the same as being converted to Jesus. It means the same thing. No one can can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is essential in this process that we call conversion. It's another word is regeneration. We are made new uh, by the Spirit of God. And it's so important. It isn't just my decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to join the church. God does something amazing that we call regeneration, being born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. There's no, it's, it's unequivocal. You must be born again. And that is the work of the Spirit. Once we're Christians, we have this amazing thing that Jesus said, the Father and I will come and make our home with you. We're going to come and live in you and it's going to be by the Holy Spirit. John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The only way that Father and Son can make their home with us 
is by the Holy Spirit. That's the way that it happens. And then 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Our next series after Family Zone is Ephesians. And we'll go into what that means there a lot more. But what it means is God's given us a guarantee, the Holy Spirit in the presence of the the believer, uh, as a down payment of the good things that are to come. And then Galatians, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. All right, that spirit within us that convinces us that we are children of God, sons and daughters of the living God, and we cry out, Abba, Father. And it's one of those things we can't explain. We just know it. We know that God is our Father, that we're his children. Also, the Spirit unites us as Christians. Ephesians chapter 2. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Not just personally are we temples of the Holy Spirit, but together we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter talks about that, like we being living stones, being built together to be a dwelling place for God. And then in chapter 4 of Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. So the Spirit unites us as Christians. So where have we got to? So our Christian life starts with an external work of the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction, opening our eyes. Um, that we need to be saved, then creating new life in us. It is the spirit that brings life to us and then living within us, bringing an intimacy of father-son, father-daughter relationship. So in essence, these are internal, somewhat private um, experiences, aren't they? They're very personal to us. We don't, apart from the unity that I talked about, um, this is just God and us. It's what God is doing in my life and what the, the outworking of, of my salvation. So, is there more? Well, uh, you know that Jesus said in Acts, as we read in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This power is to be lived out. It's a power to make him known. It's power to be his witnesses. It's an outworking of the Holy Spirit within us. You know, when I look in the book of Acts at the activity of the Holy Spirit, um, I, look, I can see an outworking of the Holy Spirit in people's lives that is beyond what we've so far considered as far as initiation is concerned, being initiated into Christ, becoming a Christian. And this is what I see. Firstly, I see outward manifestations. Firstly, when people are referred to as having been filled with the Spirit, there is an outward manifestation, if you want to call that, or an expression, as opposed to what we've seen so, so far regarding inner manifestations. And I'll try and illustrate this with a number of scriptures from Acts. 
There are lots more scriptures. I've just obviously had to be um, very selective. But let's start with the day of Pentecost. We've already talked about that. Uh, It says when the Holy Spirit came on them, there was like tongues of fire coming on them and so on. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There was an outward manifestation of what was happening. Then Peter, as I said, began to preach to the people. They said, you're drunk. He said, no, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And he he, um, reiterates that. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So there's an outworking. It's something happening. A little bit later, um, we know that uh, Peter and John, um, in the name of Jesus, they heal uh, the, um, the man at the gate, beautiful, who'd been crippled um, for, for so many years. And uh, the, quite a crowd is drawn and they preach Jesus, but it's, the authorities don't like that and they arrest them. And um, at one point they get them out of prison and they say, by what power or by what name are you doing this? Uh, they don't like it. And this is what we read. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And he goes on to preach Jesus. So this outworking is a boldness. There's a boldness and a, and a, a, a kind of a, an immediate um, facility to preach the gospel uh, to these people. Peter filled with the Spirit. A little bit later, the apostles are released and they join the believers in prayer. One of the first prayer meetings we read about in the New Testament, in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, And they all lift their voices together. Um, They're claiming God's triumph in these circumstances. And it says this, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So there was an outworking. Then we move on to Acts 10. Uh, So far, the believers were mostly Jewish. And um, Peter, being a Jew, God spoke to him in a vision and told him to go and visit the house of a Gentile, a a centurion, a Roman centurion called Cornelius. Peter objected at first, but God showed him through a vision that he must not call anything unclean, that God calls clean. So he, he obeyed and went to Cornelius. Cornelius was expecting him. And he'd gathered his household together to hear what Peter had to say. And we read, Peter, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jews, it's another way of referring to them as Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They had to have their mind changed, didn't they? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptised with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So from Peter's point of view, seeing them receive the Holy Spirit just as he had, 
on the day of Pentecost convinced him that these people were now authentic Christians. This outward manifestation convinced him. Now, he hadn't heard them confess Christ. Um, They hadn't gone through a joining course or gone through some sort of catechism or whatever. It was the Holy Spirit coming on them that convinced him that these were genuine believers, so let's baptise them. In Acts 19, we find uh, Paul finds some disciples at Ephesus. They needed some instruction, these people. Uh, it says they're disciples, but he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we never heard about the Holy Spirit. Don't know what the Holy Spirit So he instructs them. Right? And they receive Christ and they're baptised. And then it says, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So again, an outworking. Paul writes to the Ephesians. The same people, but sometime later. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another. I believe that was a Spirit's inspiration uh, to use the Scripture to build one another up and to worship God. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Well, these are all, if you like, identifiable manifestations of uh, when the Holy Spirit has come on people. Speaking in tongues, prophesying speaking the word of God boldly, speaking and singing to one another and to the Lord. There's an interesting incident in Acts 8 where the believers were filled with the Spirit through the laying on of hands and an observer, a magician named Simon, seeing what happened, offered the apostles money so that he could do the same. He wanted to be able to lay hands on people and for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we're not told what the manifestation was but it must have been quite impressive for him to want it. It must have been visible. It wasn't invisible. It was something um, that he could observe. So let's read that, Acts 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw what the, that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Well, he got a sh- severe ticking off if you know the story. And um, uh, he, he had to ask for mercy uh, because of the severe words spoken to him. It's not the kind of thing that you can buy with money. But the point was, he saw something. He observed something that he was prepared to pay money for, quite wrongly, of course. But let's notice another important point here. Do you notice that these people who received the Spirit were clearly already believers? It says they were believers um, they'd been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus, but they hadn't yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is not their initiation into Christ, it's clearly something else, something else. So, believers 
receive the Spirit. As we established earlier, every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but every Christian isn't necessarily filled with the Spirit or has the fullness of the Spirit or has been baptised in the Spirit. If you know the Alpha Course, you know that Nicky Gumbel gives a little illustration here um, and uh, he likens the believer to his gas boiler. Remember that? Um, he's not saying everybody's an old boiler, but he's just saying, like a gas boiler that has a pilot light. And this is like the presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer. But when uh, the main burner is ignited, woof, it goes. And, the, and the, the, uh, the boiler does what it's supposed to do. And he's saying that's like when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, undoubtedly, but you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes this comes spontaneously, like the household of Cornelius that we just read about. Peter was in the middle of a sermon and they all started to be speaking in tongues as the Spirit came on them. Other times, like the believers at Samaria, um, you know, we may need some help to receive. I think that's fair. Such as an explanation of the promises of God. We need to be convinced because being convinced means that we will have faith that when someone lays hands on us, then we are going to receive uh, what was promised. Um, we may need prayer and the laying on of hands. And also the testimony of others can be helpful in this. What others have experienced, it can be a great help. And often we need to help raise our faith and allay our fears. But what we find is, that this baptism in the Spirit does not limit the fillings of the Spirit thereafter. There is more than one filling. Although in the main, the accounts and the acts of the apostles, of the Holy Spirit coming on people, they, they relate to an initial uh, receiving of the Holy Spirit. But we see this is a repeated experience. Peter, who was clearly baptised in the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it says and we've already mentioned, read one of them, that he, on two other occasions that he was filled with the Spirit. So it, it's, it's not a once and for all experience. Uh, we need to be constantly filled with the Spirit. And that's illustrated by the fact that the scripture we read from Ephesians, where we have the command, be filled with the Spirit, uh, is in the present continuous tense and um, urging us to go on being filled with with the Spirit. We can't say, well, of course, 20 years ago I was baptised in the Spirit and that's it. No, daily we need to seek God to be filled with the Spirit. But the initial filling is often very, very significant for us if that's not something that we've experienced. So in conclusion then, I hope you've seen from the Scriptures that as a true believer in Jesus Christ, whilst we have the Spirit, we may not have the fullness of the Spirit. There is always that, that possibility. We have not been baptised in the Spirit. And um, also that if you have been baptised in the Spirit, then we need to go on being filled with the Spirit. There is always more. So what's the answer to our question? Have you got it all? You, only you can answer that question for yourself. Have you got it all? all right? Or is there more? Are you convinced that there is more? There is more from God. Whatever your position is, wherever you feel you've got to in all this. Let me read you um, uh, a statement from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, 
Who's heard of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? Oh yes, older people have, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he is not on this earth anymore. <laughs> All right. But a very famous preacher in Westminster Chapel for over 30 years and his books and tapes and things are being constantly published all the time. People like Terry Virgo, Ben White, sat under Martin Lloyd-Jones. Right? And uh, In fact, Ben White was converted under his ministry. You know, Many of you know Ben. This is what he says. There is nothing, I am convinced, that so quenches the spirit as the teaching which identifies the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's the Holy Spirit, with regeneration, that is, when we become Christians. But it is a very commonly held teaching today. Indeed, it has been the popular view for many years. It is said that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is non-experimental. In other words, you don't experience anything. That it happens to everyone at regeneration. And we say, oh well, I'm already baptised with the Spirit. It happened when I was born again at my conversion. There is nothing for me to seek. I've got it all. Got it all? Well, if you've got it all, I simply ask in the name of God, why are you as you are? If you've got it all, why are you so unlike the apostles? Why are you so unlike the New Testament Christians? He was a very sombre man. You know, and... uh, Anyway, but uh, this is what he said. So, uh, my plea is, come this evening. You know, there is more. Um, we'll share some more assurances from the scriptures. Perhaps some folks would like to give some testimony. We'll worship and we'll pray. And if, if you'd like to receive something, we'll pray. Either that, that you feel you've never been baptised in the Spirit, we'll pray for that. If you'd like to speak in tongues... We'll, we'll pray for that as well. We won't force anybody. Um, it'll be an invitation. You can sit on the sidelines if you want or you can press in uh, to God. I know that some people um, find this subject kind of fills them with doubt and fear. Doubt that they will receive. You know, I'm not good enough. Everybody else receives, but I'm not good enough. There's nothing in the scriptures to say that God picks out people like that. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone believes in me, if, you fill in, if you've come into that category, then there's no reason why you shouldn't receive. The other thing is that sometimes people are fearful. They're fearful of what they might receive. And this is sometimes fueled by observing other people who claim to be filled with the Spirit. Um, now, I'm not saying all these things are bogus, but you, f- you do find people doing some strange things. And people are saying, well, I don't want that. I don't want that. But what we need to understand is It is those people responding, it's their response to what the Holy Spirit is doing inside. The Holy Spirit is not making people lie on the floor laughing their heads off or whatever it is and different things that people do. It's their personal response and we are all individuals in God's sight. And I believe that that God is, is infinitely gracious and will not give us anything that we would find offensive. You know, God only wants to give us good things. Really good things. I mean, he, Jesus has died for us that we might receive so much good. Uh, you are a child of God and he loves you. Let me just finish with a personal testimony. Um, I trust that others might give some um, later. Um, I was not somebody who was fearful uh, of um, the baptism in the Spirit. I just thought if, if that's in the Scriptures and, and that's what God wants us to have, that's what I want. 
and I went with a friend to a meeting up in London many years ago now uh, at Westminster Central Hall and it was a meeting of the Fountain Trust if anybody knows what the Fountain Trust was but it was kind of promoting um, a, a, a personal experience of the Holy Spirit. We were a bit late but we went into this hall and just the presence of God was so overwhelming. I mean, it just, you just sensed it. And we had to go down the front because there were no other seats. So we're right, right down the front, of course, you know. And there's a band, a bit like ours, and they're singing songs a bit like ours. But we didn't sing those in those days. I didn't know. They were simple so- love songs to Jesus, really. And I just stood there. I got caught up in this. And I just felt just waves of God's love, just washing, I couldn't explain it any other way, just washing over me. And if you know me, what happens is I'm booing, and I? All tears, all running down, my, I can feel it all running, loads running off my chin, and I just did not want it to stop. It was just an overwhelming sense of God's love. I've never felt it quite like that since, okay? It was just an amazing, and I realised afterwards, I concluded, that's when I was baptised in the Spirit. I didn't speak in tongues at that point. I had to seek that for myself a bit later. But just to say, it was a wonderful experience. It wasn't anything to be afraid of. God knew what I wanted. God knows what you want uh, and what you need. Let me close with a scripture which illustrates those two points. All right. um, the fact that we needn't doubt and we needn't fear. This is Luke chapter 11. Jesus speaking, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. See, there's a a little bit of persistence there, isn't there? There's a pressing in. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, you don't give up, do you? And it's a bit like Jacob. I won't let you go until you bless me. I think we have to have that little bit of an attitude. You know, It's not like, well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it anyway. Um, I'm afraid that just doesn't work, does it? There has to be a pressing in. That's why Jesus repeated it, didn't he? Knock and ask, seek, you know, um, and we will find. So press in to God. Then he goes on. Which of you fathers... If, you ask, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Should we be afraid of what God gives us? You know? He is not going to give us a scorpion, is he? Or a snake, Now he's going to give us what we ask for, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the promises of Jesus, for the experience of those early believers. Lord, we don't always build our doctrine on experience, but we thank you that the experience matched the promise, the promise of Jesus, the promise of John the Baptist, that Jesus would be the baptizer, the overwhelmer of the Holy Spirit. And Father God, please help us, Lord, to brush aside uh, all objections, all barriers, and come hungry and thirsty, even tonight, Lord. Um, Tonight of itself is not special unless it's your moment, but we want to take every opportunity 
for you to do what you promised to do to every true believer of Jesus Christ. That is to fill them uh, with the Holy Spirit and, uh, Lord, to cause them, uh, Lord, to be your witnesses in this needy, needy world. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. See you tonight.